But I've got a wonderful, wonderful person in his in his stead today. Our friend from Off the Ball Network, uh, Justin Payton. Justin, how you doing, man? Thank you so much for coming on. Man, I'm fantastic, man. I'm ready to talk to the NBA, man. I'm blessed and lucky to be here, man. What about you, man? How you doing, man? I'm, I'm great. I'm I got I got off a little early tonight. Get to talk some basketball. Can't, can't ask for anything better. Yes. So you know, I wanted to kind of go into a little bit about some of the coaching, you know, maneuvers, I guess, that have happened, coaching up vacancies, really, in uh, Boston and Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, being in Indianapolis, it's, uh, it's a big deal around here. I'm not really a Pacers fan, but, you know, Justin, it's not very often you hear of a, a first-year head coach getting fired after one year. It's actually only the second time it's happened since 1956. Yeah. What do you what do you think about that? I thought it was pretty wild. I, I mean, I saw it coming, but it's just I think it's crazy. Well, you know, I, I want to go back to the open court um, part that we there was an open court show where they had like a takeover about what the NBA should do better. Uh, Rick Fox was like, you know, they, I feel like they should generate a little bit more patience in the coaching staff. You know, I understand y'all want to win now, but, you know, it would just have to take a little patience, you know, try to build up the team, you know, for three or four years, five years. And if it doesn't work out, then it's okay to just go ahead and get with them. But for a first year head coach, you know, it's it's you know you don't you don't really know the potential it's just basically like i understand you want to win right away but like you know you you gotta give them a chance you know you can't just say okay make this a championship team or get us far in the playoffs and then you'll keep your job you know that's a lot of pressure and there's so many good teams out there and you know then it's why it's why well i think that's a that's a good good question you bring up, and I think the re, the the real root of the whole thing is is not even on the basketball court. Honestly, from all everything you hear in the media and from what people around here say, is that he just it's like a personality clash more than anything. They don't like they don't like the way he treats players. They don't like the way he talks to people within the organization. the The front office doesn't like his professionalism. Players don't apparently buy into his message at all and think he was force feeding analytics down their throat. And it's just, it's one of those things where I, I don't think if they'd even, even if they had like won a first round playoff series, he probably still would have been gone. It was just mm. the, the players had, he had kind of lost that locker room, so to speak. The, there was a, a pretty ugly scene that it, it blew me away just by, just because of the context and who it was. Gogo Batadze, their backup, like third string, basically center, uh, got into a shouting match in the middle of a game with an assistant coach, and they called a timeout. And the camera was zooming right in on his face when you saw him point at the at the sideline and, and cuss out his coach right on TV. Oh and, man, and it was just it was an embarrassing thing for them, obviously. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, it just kind of went downhill from there. But I agree with you, though. One year's like, I mean. 
I guess you're just what, admitting admitting failure and <laughs> trying to start over, right? Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, look, every coach is not going to be perfect no matter what, you know. Like, everybody didn't like that Chicago coach. I forgot his name Um, that, you know, oh, ran the players and, well, yes, when, you know, practices long and have them do all the conditioning, he'll uh, people complaining. Same with the Cleveland coach that they had, you know, a lot of players, uh, players complaining and stuff. I mean, look, every coach is different, you know. And, right. you know, every coach is going to have that same mindset to win and how to win, it's going to take different styles and all that. So, Absolutely. And, you know, I think the, the big question for me is, so Bjorken came from, you know, Nick Nurse's coaching staff. They, they won a G League title together, and then mm-hmm. they actually played against each other in the G League championship the next year. And then Bjorken went and was his assistant on that championship team in Toronto. So mm-hmm. this guy's won at every level. He actually even his first head coaching job was a, a high school head coach, and he won the yeah. state title his first year. Yeah. Like, so he's been successful everywhere. He's been able to get along with people everywhere he's been. And you can't – I almost can't believe that a front office, any front office in today's NBA would miss on this kind of stuff, like that you're hearing yeah. that he doesn't treat people with respect and nobody likes him and the players don't buy in, like – yeah. that you've missed all that for the last four years or what, what's the difference? You know, that's, that's like something that kind of been puzzling to me. It is, man. I mean, you go back to the Chicago Bulls in the last year, it's like everybody didn't really get along, but you know, you never heard anything about it until you listen to the last dance, you know, you know, Jerry Krause, you know, was like, organization wins championships. And, you know, Michael Jordan's like, no players win championships. I mean, it was a lot of clash back and forth, personality clash back and forth between the organization and the players and the coach. I mean, like I said, you know, everything ain't going to be perfect, but if everybody has that same mindset to win, but if it has to go, if it has to take and they have to meet and like kind of just make peace, I mean, it, it, you got to throw all the hate and all that aside just to win. It's about the sacrifice of winning. So definitely. And, you know, I, I think people kind of underestimate a lot of times how big of a sacrifice that can be because yeah. it's not like every NBA team is, is a bunch of best friends that go out and do everything together. You know, exactly. it's like a, it's like your job, you know, you're, you're not best friends with everybody you work with. Yeah. If you are, that's pretty cool. But you know, <laughs> I, mean, I kind of wouldn't say with the network, I'm pretty good friends with all these guys. So that's kind of like that, but, but you get what I mean. Like they're not all yeah. going to get along and, and go and they're not all the Utah jazz that are out, you know, Yes. Going door to door singing Christmas carols on <laughs> you know, that's just that's one of this goofy like picture I've always had in my head when uh, I had Hunter on and he was talking about uh how like in Utah you see these the players like out doing stuff together and like hanging out. I just had this weird vision of like all, like three or four of them like singing Christmas carols together. <laughs> I, I don't know much about Utah except it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it really is. Anyway, I'm just it's a little joke, but uh, so Nate Bjorkren, it was an odd, odd situation how he kind of came up as the coach, too. I mean, doesn't it seem to you, Justin, like lately the trend has been all of a sudden like some guy just is you never heard his name before. And then all of a sudden he's like the hot coaching prospect and then he's the next head coach somewhere. And yeah, the guys yeah. that have been working at it for years that just get passed up. Yeah, it's weird. And, you know, everybody, you know. 
you know, you think, you know, someone like a Mark Jackson, who's been, you know, a successful coach for Golden State, and you haven't heard his name come up and all that, you know, it's just been just really weird. Or, you know, it's the same coaches that got fired, but then they got put back. Doc Rivers left the Clippers, but, oh, yeah, he's the Philadelphia head coach. We'll definitely got to do that. I'm not saying that Doc Rivers is not a great coach. He is a great coach, but you pass along all these people that has that could get a chance at coaching. Like the Nets, I never knew Steve Nash was going to wanting to be a head coach. I did not even know that. It just came out of nowhere. Like he really wants to be a head coach. Are you sure you are you sure you saying his name right? Is it something? It's like some random person, you know. Like I guess you know it goes, you know, it goes to analytics. It's like who's going to be the perfect coach for these players to build their chemistry and how who can take them to the next level. I mean, we just don't really know who be that coach would be. But, yeah, it just seems so odd with these real names, you know, that just come down to nowhere. It's like, oh, I just want to coach. So mm-hmm. I feel like point guards kind of already deal with, like, the ego management sometimes on really good teams. You know, like, even if they're the best player, they're usually the distributor. They're the guy trying to get everybody involved, especially like Steve Nash. Yes. So he, he probably already was pretty, you know, well-suited for a position where – you just got to keep two or three guys happy and, you know, mm-hmm. and make sure everybody else gets their, gets their shots. And, and, you know, probably things will probably work out pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to go pretty far, you know, without even really playing good basketball. <laughs> yes. Those three guys are just so that good. But the real, the real thing I think that made this, uh, this one and done disaster, such a disaster for Indiana is the fact that, they fired Nate McMillan because he didn't win in the playoffs. So they yeah. fire a, a proven head coach who's coached yeah. for over 20 years now in the NBA. Yep. Has a, a well above 500 record. Yes. Um, who made the playoffs as your head coach four straight years. Yeah. Depot hurt one year with uh, Sabonis hurt the next year with TJ Warren in and out of the lineup. With mm-hmm. Brogdon kind of in and out of the lineup. I, I mean, the Pacers have been like a mash unit the entire time he's been there and the idea that Nate McMillan can't win in the playoffs is, is one of the dumbest things to me. Obviously he just did. So that helps his case. But like, if you go back and look in his playoff series that he's lost in the first round, he lost to Carl Malone and and John Stockton. He lost to uh, David Robinson and Tim Duncan. And then he Mm -hmm. lost to Chris Weber, Stojakovic and Mike Bibby. Like when was yeah. he supposed to win with a a seven seated Seattle Sonics team or a Portland team? I mean, yeah. he's never been favored in, in like a series. And then I don't know if I think it was a little bit closer, probably in Vegas, than a lot of people thought that Knicks Hawks series. But I don't know that they were the favorite in that series either, and they, they look pretty good so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, Nate Mamillion, you know, that's the thing I still don't get that Indiana did was to fire, you know, Nate Mamillion. I thought, like you say, he was a proven head coach. He was a great head coach. And then, you know, just out of nowhere, just to fire him, I just thought it was just like out of nowhere, just kind of crazy, you know. It was like the weird thing was, was it was part of the bubble was partly to blame because his contract, so he was a lame duck going into the season. It was his last yeah. year of his contract. And the shutdown actually uh, pushed the restart of the season past the end of his contract. So yep. it got announced that he got a contract extension. And then like five days later, he got fired and it's nobody crazy. understood why. It's crazy. And you see what he's doing with Atlanta. 
Atlanta, you know, it hasn't been in the playoffs in years, and now they are a playoff team, and he got them up and rolling and everything. So, you know, in the end, it's just like looking back, probably like, dang, I shouldn't even got rid of this coach in the first place. Like I said, that proven track record of knowing how to coach the players and all that, that's Nate McMillian. You've never heard a bad thing about him from anybody that's played for him. And all like the narrative around him, other than this can't win in the playoffs, was always like he gets the most out of a, like a young team. Like, you know, they're going to play, they're going to surprise people with how good they are. And it's always mm-hmm. like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Atlanta Hawks got, were smart. I mean, it was an obvious move when they went and got a guy and, you know, I'm, appointed him basically the assistant coach for a head coach that's never worked with him before that was obviously <laughs> you know writing on the wall and it, it they've been 20 they were 27 11 in the regular season with nate mcmillan as their head coach i mean yes. that's the third or fourth best record in the nba yes for a team that's built around a bunch of guys in their second or third year and it's crazy it's gonna be they're gonna be fun to watch um, yes, I, I actually kind of want to talk about this. This is going to be kind of impromptu, but I want your thoughts. So who do you think out of all these guys, these young stars that are having these great playoff series, you know, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, who do you think has the brightest future out of some of these guys? It doesn't have to be any pick anybody. Oh, man, it's like, you know, asking like one of your kids, which one of your kids is your favorite? Because right. a lot of people have like, you know, a lot of different, you know, a lot of them have futures and stuff, man. Donovan Mitchell. That Utah Jazz team is so deep, you know. Donovan Mitchell, the way he's been playing in the playoffs, you know, because, look, you got to think about it. They only lost one game um, when – and that was, you know, tonight, which we'll talk about – well, last night, which we'll talk about later with against the Clippers. But, you know, the other game, he wasn't even playing against the Grizzlies. And for him to go out against a good Clipper team and put up like 30 something points a game, it's just remarkable to me. Devin Booker could score in his sleep. I've been really impressed with him and he, and the way that he uh, is aggressive and he's hungry for that title too, as well. You know, it's coming from that Chris Paul influence of leadership. Um, But my favorite one personally was, has been Trey Young. I feel like Trey Young's going to be like, one of those type of players like a Reggie Miller, especially like if he goes up to these cities like a Philly or a New York to just go out there and, you know, is just confident in a shot and just make that New York Philly crowd hate him. Cause that's the thing that we miss in the NBA is the rivalries. Yep. Like you can name a rivalry back in the day that was just exciting to watch. Even Miami and uh, New York was a rivalry back in the day. Mm-hmm. So to have Trey Young, as young as he is, I mean, that's a rivalry the next 10 years that's going to bring in, like, seats and everything. And it's very yeah, impressive. Yeah, I think you're Dude. absolutely right. Yeah. I, I, I just love the way it seems like Trey Young. So I had the complete wrong, like, thought process on Trey Young. Like, he, he just – he's he doesn't obviously really look the part of an NBA star. He looks like a little kid to me. Yes. <laughs> And that's not to say that that matters. Obviously, it doesn't. But And I know he was good. I always knew he was good. I just – watching him against the Knicks in that series and in these playoffs, like, he absolutely feeds off of the crowd hating him. And yeah. it's like a wrestling heel. Like, it's it's, it's almost – it's just get, it's so fun to watch. And he's, like, the littlest guy out there. Mm-hmm. And it's it, 
I, I, I don't know if I've, I've ever heard this comparison and, and it's a, a little bit of a stretch, but it's kind of Allen Iverson-ish, just how he's so like, he just, he welcomes all, you know, all comers. And, you know, when he makes a shot and gets an and one, he puts his hand to his ear and listens to the crowd for, you know, once those boos. And you just don't really see that from a lot of guys anymore. And, mm-hmm. and Devin Booker's kind of shown a, a little bit of an edge here too. And I like that about him too. I, I, I was kind of not the biggest Devin Booker fan either, but these playoffs, these guys have like absolutely changed my mind on them. I knew they were good. It was just, they're, they're really showing me something that I didn't think was there before. And Donovan Mm. Mitchell to me was the one that I always felt like could be great from about the first time I watched him. And yes, you know, the Dwayne Wade comparisons are, 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 you know, a reach to an extent, but they're, I, I, I think they make sense. Especially when you have Dwayne Wade as one of the owners of the Utah Jazz. You know, it's always been interesting when you like when you hear the news like Dwayne Wade's part of like the um ownership of Utah Jazz. It's like, you know, he could have been an ownership for the Miami Heat or could have been, you know, an owner, you know, with the Lakers or some, you know, some team that but the Utah Jazz was just like a little bit of a stretch. But at the same time, Donald Mitchell is over there. And, you know, when you listen to Dwayne Wade, you know, analyze, you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell. He just, it just seems like he just loves Donovan Mitchell. He just sees a lot of his young self in Donovan Mitchell, just the way he plays and goes after it and all that, you know. Oh, so yeah. I, don't I, know I can definitely see 35 that. and 7 in the, in the finals like Wade did that one year. But he's, he's, he's kind of, to me, feeling like he's having that sort of breakout, you know, performance so far. And he's doing it with a, an ankle that he's admittedly said is still pretty sore. Yes. Mm-hmm. crazy crazy um and then one more player i just wanted to shout out to as well i forgot all about him and all that luka Doncic. i mean the next probably through probably i don't know how long it's going to be this guy is probably going to be the best one he's probably the best one out of the bunch the only the people will forget about him but no nobody don't forget about him but that team was just the team's just not that good to me and they're great offensively team but they're just not good they just need they need to go up the next level i mean lucas did everything he could in the playoffs but he's probably going to be the best one out of that bunch like i mean as young as he is and as ready as he is offensive team anytime you get a guy that's averaging 29 and 10 assists yes that's why it's because of him yes did you see Um, the, the, the um meme about um porzingis so the it was the Scooby Doo gang and they're unmasking the villain and it said let's see who the real pandemic P is and it was first steps Porzingis. Oh man, I laughed so hard when I saw that. You know, Paul George, you know, we'll get to it here in a minute. Paul George had a little bit of a redemption game for himself there. Yes, finally, which I don't think he's been that bad in these playoffs. People just love to hate Paul George. Mm-hmm. I'm kind mm-hmm. of a, I'll, I'll admit it. I've hated on Paul George a lot on this show, but. He just, I don't know, he talks too much for somebody that's never really done anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I really hear guys talking. Like like Damian Lillard said, you can't really talk when the only game where he made was in a Gatorade commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm always here for shouting out players, man. We're, we're all about the love here on Breaking the Game. We, we've got, I've got some shout outs I need to get to before we move on. Um, yes. For everybody listening on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel, thank you so much. You know, Nothing But Net's been great. All the guys there at Dash Radio are amazing, amazing dudes. They've done a lot of work with our network, and we're we're very grateful for them. So, 
Thank you for tuning in wherever you are. Uh, if you're listening on Dash, if you're listening on the podcast, cool too. You know, we'll take the downloads. Maybe, you know, five-star review if you like us, for sure. If you don't like us, just leave a mean comment. It's okay. I can take it. Um, <laughs> and then obviously, you know, Justin, I've always got to thank the people at Manscaped. They are uh, one of the sponsors of the show. The Manscaped people are, are, I mean, they couldn't be better. You know, I was pretty nervous when Steven left about, you know, having to take over all this business side stuff of everything that he did. And they've been awesome. They're so easy to work with. I mean, they got the best stuff. Like this, the stuff is just cool. They sent me like one of everything and like, it's just cool looking. Like everything is made really, really well. They've got the, the lawnmower 4.0. It's got skin safe technology. You're not going to cut yourself. You don't have to worry about, you know, nicks and all that. You got a, a 4,000 K something spotlight on it. So, I mean, it's so high tech. I don't even know how to use everything on it yet, but let's, it's great. And it's awesome stuff. Father's Day's coming up. They've got all kinds of deals on on their website. You know, maybe a maybe a, a downstairs groomer doesn't sound like a great gift for dad, but they do have stuff that he would probably like. Like the boxers are great. You know, they've got an ear and nose hair trimmer that I mean, as guys get older, they need that, let's be honest. And you know, everybody that's you know intimate in your life will thank you. You'll thank yourself. You don't have to use the same razor on your whole body as you do your face anymore. I never did. I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is. But it doesn't need to be anymore. Manscaped, you know, can't say enough about them. And they know I like easy stuff, so they made our code so easy, Justin. It's BTG. It's three letters. I can't even forget. I, even I can't forget that. And, and Definitely. I forget a lot. Uh, so thank you guys, everybody at Manscaped. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I've got Justin here from Off the Ball Network in to help me out with the show tonight it's been a lot of fun so far thanks for joining us justin hey man thank you so much for having me on the show man thank you so much absolutely i love always love to talk basketball with anybody it's a good time oh um, yeah i do want to kind of get into the to one other coaching situation a little bit before we before we go into the playoffs here um danny ainge stepped down as the about the president of basketball operations Mm-hmm. And Brad Stevens moved into pretty much to hit that role. I, I think they said an expanded role, which I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really thought too much about who they go after as a head coach. I, I don't know. Like I said, NBA head coaching prospects seem to change like daily. And it's all of a sudden yeah. it's just some guy that you never heard of. So mm-hmm. I'm not as worried about that, but I just kind of had a bad taste in my mouth with Danny Ainge overall. I think his, I think the, the perception around the league from other or from like media and fans is that he's one of the best GMs and that he's, you know, he's always making these great deals. And I feel like he made one good move two, two. He got, he only got Tatum, but I mean, anybody with two eyes that sort of watch basketball and knew Tatum was going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's not that amazing. And he just, he never did anything with all this, all the assets that he acquired. And like I said, he, he the perception around the league was how good of a, a GM he is. But then as soon as he's gone, all these reports come out from former players that they didn't trust him and didn't want to play for him. So it's just – I want to get your thoughts. What do you think? Think It's just so interesting to me how, like, when you listen to the media talk about it, it's like, oh, Danny Ainge is so great. And then the players all say, no, we didn't like him. We didn't want to play for him. Yeah, it's an interesting situation, but, you know, whenever you're a Boston Celtic for life, you are a Boston Celtic for life, you know, and Danny Age was a Boston Celtic and kept his job because he won one championship, you know, by getting, you know, KG and Way Allen in the trade to help Paul Pills with the victory. 
and then to keep the African kid Rondo that Kevin Garnett said, <laughs> and uh, you know, getting Kyrie, which was a bad move and stuff, and um, you know, getting Jason Tatum and draft Willie helped too as well. Um, yeah, it, yeah, they need just, but he was the same way as a player. He was like, he's one of those people like you'll love on your team, but you hate his guts. As right, a, as, you're not a uh, selfish enemy. man. He just, just he just hung on Larry Bird's coattails and didn't deserve uh, any of that. You are a Celtics fan. Oh man, he was the heart and soul of the team kind of guy. He you, know? you despise him so much, you know, and everything. But yeah, I mean, he he hasn't been a great GM to me um, as well. Um, you know, just because he won one title and stuff. Okay, he could have won more than one title. He could have won if he could have had like three, four, five titles and all that. You know, like. You know, he would the still be leading Celtic scorer, uh, Kevin Garnett, who won an MVP, one of the best mm-hmm. power forwards of all time, and one of the three best three point shooters of all time. Who people forget how good Ray Allen was for a long time. Yes. Like, people have those memories of bald Ray Allen in Miami just shoot, shooting jumpers from the corner all game. That man mm-hmm. could play. Yes, he it could. Was fun to watch in Milwaukee. I liked him when he was in Milwaukee. And that was oh, Ooh, man. Oh God, he was so good. Mad Market team was loaded when he was there too, and that was the best way Allen version I seen because Duncan basketball three point yeah. shot can do anything all around player. I mean, that was the best way Allen. But people don't ever talk about it. They talk about the Seattle, Boston, Miami. So it's interesting. But, um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what happens because Kemba Walker's. I'm pretty sure done in Boston. He's pretty much demanded his way out Thank yeah I, I i didn't i didn't like that whole idea of Kemba walker going well i did at the beginning because i was like okay it's going to help the team because of what he did in charlotte but he didn't really prove anything to boston he just made Kyrie just like he was a much better player in boston than Kemba was uh, so i'm glad that they're moving on from Kemba. i think it's 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 pretty crazy to how how the oh i feel like the the thoughts on Kemba and Kyrie were that they were pretty close in in ability at one point until all this. I think it it's unbelievable now to think about that. Like, but I think a lot of people thought that, and it's crazy because Kemba Walker. I mean, there's no there's a reason you go like twenty three straight games losing to the same guy. Like, mm-hmm. there's just something that's not there, you know. And Kemba Walker's great when he's healthy but he's little and he gets beat up a lot the way he plays and mm-hmm. he's, he's been you know he's been banged up a lot and i think if he's healthy he could he could definitely help a team and boston just wasn't a good fit mm-hmm. uh, obviously he he the, the everybody said that gordon hayward was redundant to tatum and brown and they didn't need him and then you saw what happened this year i mean there was times when they couldn't score the ball like if, no, if brown wasn't or tatum and brown weren't hitting shots like they couldn't score you know they could mm-hmm. Danny Ainge had, I mean, all these opportunities to get guys. So he had this handshake deal with Al Horford that they're going to re-sign him. He leaves for nothing. The Kyrie Irving situation, yeah, everybody wanted to get rid of him, but they didn't get anything for him. And then Gordon Hayward basically, out of the goodness of his heart, agreed to to like kind of back off and take a sign-in trade at the last minute because Danny Ainge was convinced that he could get Oladipo and Miles Turner for him because he mm-hmm. only wanted to go to the Pacers. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that the that he was interested in the Pacers until yeah. I heard about Danny Ainge talking about it on NBA radio. Like I had never I had never really heard much like the Pacers wanted him, the fans wanted him, but I had never heard much the other way about him wanting to come here at all. And he yeah. I guess he did, but 
no NBA player only has one place they're going to go. You know, that's just not how it works. And so, you know, he overplayed his hand there the one time he actually did try to do something. And just think about if this team had Miles Turner on it this year. I mean, it solves all their all their defensive problems, all their big man problems. I mean, he, he had a terrific year. And it's he would have been the perfect big man for that team, I think. I agree with that. Um, you know, losing Al Holford to, um, you know, Philadelphia, you know, and where I forgot what team he's on now. I mean, that kind of really hurt the Celtics because technically on Oklahoma City, but I don't think he play, he's not going to play for him. Yeah. Okay. See, yeah. But yeah, just losing him, you know, um, Boston did, it kind of really hurt them because Al Holford was very dependable and was very sociable, you know, in that system, you know, and Kimmel didn't really fit within that system. It just felt like it was just like an ISO ball type of system where Tatum was taking shots Brown was taking shots the next person would probably be like Marcus Smart to take shots but they always lacked in size to me you know everybody was like oh Taco Fall probably going to be the next big guy right there in Boston and he's not really that great yet or good yet because of his footwork he still needs to work on his footwork and everything. But um, so they need somebody, you know, you know, inside. So they was trying to get Andre Drummond this year. I'm glad they didn't get him because you see what he's doing with the Lakers and all that. Absolutely. It's just terrible. That's Losing Daniel Tice. I was completely wrong about it. I thought he was going to be – I thought he was the perfect fit for what they needed because they lost, you know, the defense and the athleticism from Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. I thought he'd yeah. come in and just be a spark. And he, it was – I mean, he didn't do anything. It was awful. No. It was awful. It was straight awful, you know, and I guess it's because of Cleveland just putting him in street clothes for like months and just right. didn't get a chance to just like really like, you know, walk out every day. And, you know, he just thought it was going to be an easy fit. And, you know, when you're in that L.A. bright lights and stuff, I mean, you ain't going to perform well unless you are really that good of a player. So it's just right. kind of sad to see Drummond not playing well. So I thought he could have fit better with Boston, but. Um, like I said, well, he definitely you know. would have been more of a, a focal point, but he just seems like the perfect guy to play with LeBron James. If you want him to get a bunch of little easy buckets around the rim, like LeBron's yes. going to find him on every single role, every single time. And it's like the exact opposite happened. It looked like LeBron was just like, get him out of the game. Like, why is he yeah, exactly. It's kind of like yeah. back when uh, Michael Beasley was going to come in when he came back from China the first time he went in for the Lakers, he uh, went to take his uh, warm-ups off, off and didn't have any shorts on, and he never played a minute after that. They, they didn't take, they took him back out, and he never went back in. And it just that's always been funny to me, and I feel like <laughs> LeBron felt that way about Drummond all playoffs. Like this, this dude needs to go because yeah. they just they had no chemistry, and it never once felt like a LeBron James team, like LeBron was going to, you know, eventually put his foot on the gas. They just, I never felt like after the first two games, even it was always one, one, even when we were up two one, I never for a second felt like they were going to, going to win that series. I don't know why it just didn't feel right. But yeah. Phoenix is looking tough. They're, they're really good. So we can just move into the playoffs guys. What I really want to talk about anyway. Obviously I think you do too. Um, you know, Danny Ainge, obviously, Brad Stevens, I love Brad Stevens. He's, you know, he's a Butler guy. I, I got to watch him a lot growing yeah. up around here. I, I actually live really close to where Butler plays basketball now. And Hingle Fieldhouse is cool. It's a really, really yeah. cool gym. Um, but the one thing that was crazy to me, do you know the contract that he turned down from IU? Yeah, I heard about that. And I was just hundred million dollars. 
That's crazy. I thought he was good. That was crazy that he toned that down. I guess, you know, it just, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, they really don't want to go back to the college level. Some coaches don't want to go back to the college level and they feel like they can do something in NBA level and the pro level, which is the highest level. They're going to stay in the highest level, you know, but, you know, smart coaches know if they're better in college, they will take the, I would have took the deal. $100 million. So much money. So much. So much money. And, you know, it's, it's where he like grew up and he's admittedly said it would be like his one of his dream jobs. Yes. Sometimes, Sometimes I think that the dream job might it might be better from afar. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to experience it and it not be as amazing and great as you expected it because then it's kind of ruined. Maybe, maybe mm. there's some of that. And, and also maybe he just knew he was going to become the GM of the Boston Celtics. And that's a pretty awesome job. So you know, I, I kind of feel like now that makes that part of it makes a little bit more sense. If this was kind of something that they had talked about because like a hundred million dollars for seven years. It was something around that, something around that. That's insane. And like from mm-hmm. IU who kind of typically goes pretty cheap on coaching hires for as, for as big of a basketball school as they want to be or claim to be. And they just, you know, they don't really ever go after like that big superstar or whatever you want to call them head coach like that. So it was, that was, it was exciting for about two minutes, but I'm I'm really really liking the Mike Woodson hire. I'm excited about that. Yes, so that's a good a good secondary you know second option there. But uh, I don't know. I I don't follow the uh, like a coaching rumors a lot. I have no idea who would be a good fit in Boston. I, I feel like Mark Jackson might be a, a good hire here in Indy just because the fans would go nuts for it. They love him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What yeah. do you think? Man, you know, there's a lot of good names out there, you know. Um, you know, the one person they really like kind of like thinking about going towards, you know, kind of interviewing is Chauncey Billups. Um, yeah. you know, and you know, he'd been wanting to get in the coaching scene for a while. Um, you know, like I said, it'd be he'd be like a first year coach, you know. Um, you know, is he gonna be prepared for? Is he gonna be a good coach? You know, Jason Kidd's out there. Um, you have, you know, Mark Jackson, Terry Scott, Scott, Scott fired. So it's going to be burning holes on Mike, you know, Bucks might lose the series, but we'll talk about that later. I mean, there's so many good, there's so many coaches that they could go after and all that, but I wouldn't, they would need to find the right hire that could build this team and can get like the players that they need for that system. So that Boston will be a powerhouse again. Right. I, I don't know if it's an X's and O's thing as much as a like a just a, a leader of, of players. You know what I mean? Like, I think Brad Stevens is probably up there with the very best in terms of strategy and, and yeah. coaching them up and that kind of thing. But he's never once struck me as a guy that can walk into a locker room and give a rah-rah speech whatsoever. Yeah. He's, it seems like he comes in there kind of quiet and, you know, we know what we need to do kind of guy. And mm-hmm. that works. But, you know, sometimes the other ways – you know, look at like what Coach O in, in uh, LSU, like that dude, you know, he's 99%, you know, rah-rah speech and mm-hmm. won a national title a couple of years ago. So yes. it can work both ways for sure. I've always just, I, I hope Brad, I hope good things for Brad Stevens. I'm just sad that he's still with the Celtics because I can't, I know. it's hard, it's hard for me. I try, to, I try to root for Jason Tatum and that green just, just gets to me by the end of the game. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough being a Boston Celtic. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. you know, Lakers and Celtics. It's it's fun to win, but it's we get hated on an awful lot, man. Yes, 
Yes. I, I remember when the Lakers lost to the Pistons in like in whatever year it was with the Ben Wallace and Sheed Wallace team. And there was like a group of like 10 kids from my grade at school, like waiting for me at the front door because I was the biggest Lakers fan. And I had just spent the last three years gloating on over them. And they were <laughs> so excited when they lost. I was like, man, you guys were in like third grade. They were already haters. I knew they were. Uh, well, you want to talk about these playoff matchups, Justin? I'm excited, man. I'm excited with these playoffs. Yes. You, you, you lead the way. Man, um, let's talk, go ahead and talk about tonight. Um, just mm -hmm. a surprising sweep by the Phoenix Suns on the Denver yeah. Nuggets. You know, um, Jokic, man. I mean, he, I just felt like he was in the island by himself and then nobody was swimming with him. You know, uh, that's the problem with – see, the value of Jamal Murray – was so was missing because when he went down, I was like, they ain't gonna get four in the playoffs without him because that's the second option. That's the that's the closer or sometimes the first option if Jokic is not going to play well this series or this game. Um, you know, Jokic did everything he could. Um, but you know, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon was a disappointment because I thought he'll bring, you know, a lot of energy and scoring like he did with Orlando. He was like, I want to go to a good team or contender. And he got that chance and he fell to the expectations. You know, Will Barton and Morris didn't really play well. It just seemed like Jokic, you know, was embarrass embarrassingly won the MVP. And they, he probably might just give the MVP trophy to Adam Silver in the morning and say, "I don't deserve this. I right. played that off. I played that team played off. I don't deserve this. You know, I really don't." Good. He's he's. It's unreal how like it just is. effortless it seems too. Like yes, standing there on the elbow with the ball over his head and he just flicks his wrist and throws a, like a dime pass right to a cutting guard that you didn't even see until he threw the pass. Like it's. Yeah. it's Health. He's just smooth with everything. Shot like forty three percent from three, and, and I mean, he he's not the worst MVP like in the last twenty years. Like people are trying to say, people that are saying that don't know what they're talking about. He no. might be the most unexpected though. Yes. Like before him, the top, the lowest pick was fifteenth that won an MVP. He's forty. He was the forty first pick, and you know, the narrative used to be that Euro big men were soft and couldn't play. You know, that was that was really like the like every one of them that came out, out was the next Dirk Nowitzki and they all stunk, you know, for mm -hmm. a long time. And you look now, the the Euro big man kind of led this mini big man revolution of where, you know, for a couple of years, there was no real, real center play. And this year, you know, the, the two top MVP final finishers were both centers. So yeah. it's just it was interesting to see that uh how good he's become in such a short time and like even just from the bubble last year to the very beginning of this year how much better his defense was yeah he improved on all of the things that everybody said he needed to do improve on pretty much year after year after year now and i just hate hearing the people say that he doesn't deserve an mvp like he almost averaged a triple double he was like third yeah. in the nba in assists as a center i mean mm -hmm. i think he could have had a you know of 40 and 15 average and people would have still said, you know, he didn't oh. deserve it for whatever reason. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy for him. And, you know, Jamal Murray, like you said, the, what the real value is for him is yeah. Michael Porter jr. Can score a lot. He can be their number two option. If they, if, if he has to be, but 
imagine instead of, you know, your starting backcourt being Austin Rivers and Monty Morris, it's uh, uh, Jamal Murray and um, who's the other? Will Barton. You know, mm-hmm. like that's a completely different series. Yeah. It's a completely different team. Now you're now you know when Michael Porter Jr. shoots one of nine and has 17 points, he's not your number two option. You had two guys both score 25 or 27 or something, and that's a pretty good, you know, recipe for winning, in the, especially in the playoffs. And yeah. yeah, you know, it's a sad thing that he got hurt, but it could be a blessing in disguise for for this team too, because going into next year, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of realistic expectation for them to be a title contender without mm-hmm. Murray until he comes back, which may not, might not be till the very end of the year. So, mm-hmm. you know, it gives Michael Porter Jr. kind of a, just a free reign to, you know, just figure out who he is and, and hone his game because you know, he's going to get a lot of shots. You know, they're not going to be worried about if they start losing some games, they're, 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 they're not at full strength. So they get a whole year of him developing and becoming, you know, the guy kind of on offense. And then they get their number one scorer back. So if mm-hmm. it if it works out all in their favor, I think it could be a, a serious blessing in disguise. But I'm I'm with you. I did not see this uh this sweep coming at all. And tonight did, tonight was a little a little iffy on some things there towards the end of the game. <sighs> I don't know what you feel about how you feel about that. Yeah, that flagrant foul, I feel like it was just too just – I feel like he shouldn't have been thrown out the game, but I guess the referee was like, hey, World 2, 3, King, King, hey, enjoy your vacation tonight, you know. But that should not have been a flagrant foul, you know. And, you know, he wasn't trying to argue or anything on the call, but it just intensified because Devin Buckle, you know, thinking that he's a tough guy and all that, but he's really not. He's really soft, but he's doing a – Jabble jabble and all that, and just intensify Jokic and Jokic was like going at him and stuff. So, I mean, it, it should he should not have been ejected for that. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. back there, remember that Andrew Bynum play on Boel in 2011 right. uh, or 2012 when the Lakers got swept by the Mavericks? Yeah, a regular Thursday night, regular season game when we were like five or six. We nobody yeah. drove down the lane without getting their head knocked off 15 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. He brushed his brushed this guy's nose with his elbow or his shoulder. Got all ball. Yeah. He barely brushed his like his forehead with his with his shoulder. And the dude fell on flop on the ground and he gets kicked out of the game in a three-point game in game four of a three-o. I mean, I know they're not gonna come back and win the series, but they could have won that game with, with him in there. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> excuse me. So incidental contact in the head. Give him a flagrant one. That's fine. Okay. Don't throw the MVP out of the game when it's, when yeah. it's one of the first close games of the series. That, that, was, that was rough. It was really rough, you know. But shout out to the Phoenix Suns, though, on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Paul's really hungry for that championship. You know, um, hopefully he stays healthy. You know, you see him getting hurt in the Lakers series with the neck and shoulder. But, you know, if he could stay healthy, you know, they got a really good chance. The thing that was very impressive about the Phoenix Suns is, you know, not only you'll see the rise of Devin Booker, you know, coming in and Chris Paul's leadership with passing the ball and everything, but everybody else that contribute, um, Mal, uh, not Miles Bridges, but Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cameron Payne, DeAndre Ayton actually showed out in the playoffs 
And everybody was talking about this matchup between Aiden versus the Joker. And Aiden played really well the first two games and was giving, you know, Jokic kind of trouble because the only advantage Jokic got was outside, you know, shooting and everything. But, you know, and Aiden didn't really play well the last two games, but just his presence alone and that team alone, you know, they just, Money Wins did a really good job. And then you see the amount of touches that they had. I remember one game, it's like they had like 12 to 15 touches, you know, with Booker, Paul, Aiden, Crowder, Bridges, all just showing the basketball together. They're really moving the basketball. They're playing defense. Um, you know, they, they're just really, they're really hungry and they will again after it. So Phoenix Suns, you know, great job. Just great I'll job. Tell you what, I was dead wrong about Phoenix. I didn't think yeah. they'd make it out of the first round. I was not right. I kept saying all year, one of these two teams, Utah or Phoenix, is for real. And I and it, it, they might both be because I, I still think Utah's pretty for real because I just yeah. thought Utah was a legit, you know, everybody says they're the, the like the, Atlanta Hawks from a few years ago that were the number one seed. They're way more like those Pistons of oh, yeah. time than that Atlanta Hawks team. They're really, really good. But obviously I underestimated uh, Phoenix because they've that whole team kind of seems like they've taken off in that kind of, I guess, dickish personality that Chris Paul's kind of known for because mm -hmm. like it seems like they're all ready to fight every game now in the playoffs. Like, we're here. We finally made it. We're sick and tired of li listening to everybody talk about how our numbers don't mean anything. They're ready to, I mean, it seems like every game just about they're ready to fight. Or, yeah. Which I like that. I I, I kind of like that about Atlanta, too. I feel like Atlanta's kind of the same way. It's, it's what, that's what intrigues me about some of these young guys is it's been so long since we've seen anybody really, like, want to get in, under anybody else's skin. You know, like, Reggie Miller versus the Knicks is, like, my all-time favorite uh, uh, 30 for 30. And you kind of mentioned that Reggie Miller type player when we were talking about Trey Young, and I I love it. Like I can't imagine what I would have done if in one, in that series, if at some point he just turned to the crowd and went like this. Like I would have lost my mind. Like that was that would have been amazing. And mm -hmm. he he would he'd be the guy to do it. Obviously, that was fun to watch. But mm -hmm. back to Phoenix, um, they're really good. <laughs> they're just really really good and. When they got by the Lakers, I said, "Okay, they might go to the finals." And they 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 are looking looking like they're going to be tough to beat. And I know Denver wasn't at full strength, but uh, they they beat the Lakers pretty handily. And people are kind of just glossing over forty seven points in a closeout game against LeBron James, like who's never lost a series in the first round. Yeah, and Booker has forty seven points in a closeout game, and it just like. Oh, who's the MVP of the first round? Is it Kawhi Leonard or is it just some or is it Joe Allen Bead? Like, probably Devin Booker. Like, yeah, he, he kind of you know everybody knows of his connection to Kobe. He kind of kind of channeled that a little bit, I think, in that first round. And mm -hmm. I just had Justin, another Justin, on from the network. You know, you know our Phoenix Suns expert. Let's call it what it is. He's an expert. He goes, he's awesome. He knows so much about the Suns. I'm not sure he knows a whole lot about five other teams, but that dude knows everything about his sons, and he's fun to talk to about him. And he he, you know, said some things on the show, and I I went back and I watched, and the Suns are the 27th slowest team in the NBA, mm -hmm. but they're like the fourth most efficient offense, fourth or fifth highest scoring offense, and he kind of said it, and they they slow down and play a half court offense, and nobody yep. nobody can play defense. There's no good, nobody, no good, really elite defensive teams at all right now. 
because everybody just switches everything. Guys just shoot open jumpers all day. Mm-hmm. And nobody can guard a, a team that's running an, an offensive set like a Chris Paul-led team can run because they're just not used to doing it that much. And mm-hmm. they just kind of slow the game down and get the shots they want over and over and over. And Devin Booker and Chris Paul can't miss. I mean, they're been terrific. Yeah, they are. You got two closers and Devin Booker. <laughs> the interesting stat that was really impressive about um, the Suns that I heard, you know, that Chris Paul has like – 300 assists to three different teammates, you know, and it just tells you how much of a leader and how much of the influence and how much facilitating Chris Paul is to a value NBA team. He took OKC to the playoffs. And OKC, you know, on paper, you're like, yeah, they're not really that much. They're not going to be a name to heal. But just his leadership alone, just, you know, the way he facilitates, the way he gets after it. I mean, it's just remarkable what he did. He finished top five in the MVP voting. It just right. tells you the value of Chris Paul to that team. Mm-hmm. I think if if the NBA were, would, like the NBA community, I guess, would embrace the idea that points per game, in, in a sense, aren't really that valuable towards winning. Like yep. there's all these mathematical like statistical papers you can read that show it's like the sixth or seventh most important stat and it's way overvalued and i mean obviously you got to be able to score the ball like you got to outscore the other team to win but the the point is like there's so many guys that can score 25 points a game there's not near as many that can get 15 assists or you know 18 rebounds and or you know have a shoot 60 percent from the field and it's um it's just interesting to to see you know, he is probably the most valuable player on his team for sure. He means more to that team, I would say, than probably just about any other player means to their team. Maybe Jimmy Butler to Miami because they couldn't win any games without him and they're pretty damn good with him. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like the, he just fits that Miami Heat culture thing so well. But I just really feel like Chris Paul, Chris Paul was so good last year. He tricked me into thinking Billy Donovan was the coach of the year. You know, probably Chris Paul. Yes. It can be a free agent. I think he has a player option. Mm -hmm. And he's just so valuable to the team, you know. It's just like, you know, it's it's just like the the only question we had about Chris Paul is, can he able to win a title? Can he win Mm -hmm. a title? And you could just see him. We haven't been to the Western Conference Finals since, you know, he hit that, you know, that game winner against the Spurs and then got into the Western Conference Finals. And, uh, you know, or not actually, not the Clippers, but with Houston, but got hurt against the Warriors. That's the last time I've been to the Western Conference Finals. So, I mean, he's just been so close. And, you know, I, you know, everybody's hoping for him to win a championship this year. So that's the only lingering question on Chris Paul's legacy. Is he able to deliver a championship? Um, and I think he's in a really good situation. So we'll just see how they play in the Western Conference Finals. Absolutely. I've, I've always kind of said, like, what if he doesn't win a title? Because he's like the ultimate winner everywhere he goes. But he mm-hmm. might go down as the best to never win a title if he doesn't win one. Really, It's just a weird kind of narrative there because everywhere he goes, they get better. But yeah, just can't ever get over that hump. And yeah. I think the biggest testament to how good him and James Harden are as basketball players is how close they got to beating beating that Warriors team. And yes, Chris Paul played; they could have very easily won that game. Like it was unreal to think about it. Like I, I went back and looked, and because I was listening to 
Houston Rockets fans complain about how they never had good teams at all. It was just James Harden. And I was like, man, you guys had great teams when he was there. And I went and looked through the roster and they really didn't. Like they had like Capella and and Paul and him and then like Ryan Anderson. And PJ Tucker were pretty good. But you know what I mean? They they didn't have anywhere near the talent that from one to twelve, I feel like that, that Golden State team had. And yeah. it was just those two guys just were better than better opponents most of the night. It's unreal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We're just about coming up against it here for uh, for the Dash Radio for Nothing But Net. So everybody that's listening on the radio, thank you. Unfortunately, you're going to have to do what I always tell you to do anyway. Go find us live on Facebook. Go download the podcast because we're not quite done. we got some more playoff talk. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've got Justin here, Justin Payton from Off the Ball Network. I know you've been watching his video recaps because they're getting pretty popular. He does a good job with them. I honestly, I don't want to overstate it, man. The accent's great. I think it's, I think it's, I love it. I love it. Thanks for being on, man. It's been a lot of fun. Man, thank you for uh, having me on, man. I'm very blessed and thankful, man. Definitely, definitely. Hey, keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep doing it, man. I love it, man. I love the show. Well, everybody that's, you know, tuning in on the radio, switch over to the podcast, go find us on Facebook Live. It's on Twitter. It's streaming everywhere. It used to stream like seven more places, but Stephen didn't show me how to do that stuff quite yet, so he had to leave in a hurry. So I only got the crash course. I got I got enough, but we're, we're, we're making do. But thanks, everybody. You know, thank you, Dash Radio. Thank you, Manscaped, Off the Ball Network, Chris, Mo, Jeff, everybody there. You guys are awesome. You know, I've, I've worked for a couple other networks like this, and it was, it was never never right never felt right like it does here and uh, we're happy to have you justin we're fairly new i know we've kind of expand and it's been great this has been fun thank you everybody for listening and have a good one all right i can edit that out that's good (laughs) for everybody that is tuning in on the podcast or will will at some point or is watching live thank you for staying with us i know you don't want to miss the rest of our playoff recap you know, Justin and I have been having some good conversations. So one series I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on because I don't know what to really think about it now because at the beginning of it, I felt this way. And then I felt after two games, like, oh, my Lord, this is going to be awful. And now I feel kind of like, you know, this is going to be really good. And it's, you know, the Nets and the Bucks. And I, I think I'm I'm here all day for Giannis' revenge tour. Like, I hope he – leads that team to the finals honestly I, I, i'd like to see milwaukee go there go to the finals i just don't want it to be brooklyn for whatever reason i don't like kevin kevin durant he's terrific he deserves it he's the, at least the third best player in the world i'd say maybe you know obviously top five he deserves all the accolades he gets i just i don't like him i don't know <laughs> i can't put my fandom away on some things and i don't even know why i can't even explain why because he's fun to watch he's terrific but i just don't want him to win anymore <laughs> so I'm interested to how you feel about this series. It is gone pretty back and forth, hasn't it? Yeah, man. Um, it's been you know it's been an interesting series, especially today when you watch that series. The injury to Kyrie Irving is like going to ask yourself: Is Harden going to play uh, in Game Five? And the answer to that is probably yes. But I know Steve Nash is like he's he's cautious of him coming back because we don't know how serious that hamstring injury is. Kyrie's ankle injury is pretty serious. Um, 
But, you know, if the Nets were up three to one, if they would have won today, I don't think they would have played Harding, you know, the whole series. But if the Bucks come back and win, you know, the Nets game without Harding and Kyrie and KD by himself, um, then they would have to play Harden, you know, in game uh, six, just because, you know, this is championship or bust. And if they are going to be a bust team, that it's not going to be the same team next year. I was kind of surprised when Kyrie went down. It just took a huge blow on the Nets. Um, you would think that Blake Griffin would step up, but he didn't really get a lot of playing time in the fourth quarter, which is surprising. They gave Jay Green more minutes. Um, you know, you thought Mike James was going to do something, be effective, but it seems like KD was just trying to will his team and try to carry his team with the scoring, but, you know, he wasn't really facilitating enough. P.J. Tucker was probably the MVP of this game. You know, even Giannis played really well and Milton played really well, but P.J. Tucker hitting them corner threes and him playing against KD defensively, just the way he was going after it. You know, C-Dash made a comment earlier saying, oh, that was just a non-basketball physical contact. Okay, but you ain't going to guard KD, you know, at all because, you know, he can score that basketball and he has that wingspan and he's going to get into his rhythm. So you got to play physical up against KD for him to be frustrated and that's what he that's what he did. He got get KD frustrated today the way he was playing defense on him and all that. So PJ totally really interesting that you uh, you brought that up the way the guard KD uh, a couple months ago. We had Ronnie Brewer on the show, and mm. I asked him who the hardest player he ever ever had to guard was, and he and he came down to obviously it was Kobe Bryant was who he picked, but it came down to Kobe and and Kevin Durant, and he said yeah. the, the main difference with the two was with Kobe he was always more physical than you and you could never overpower him. And with Kevin Durant, yeah. that was the only thing you could try to do. And I just thought that was pretty interesting. You said pretty much the same thing. And it is true. I mean, you got to get into him and, and he's, you know, at the point now where he's developed his body enough to where he can fight that off. And everybody talks about how ugly his crossover is. The dude can go 12 feet from one side to the other. He's got like eight foot long arms. Like it's going to mm-hmm. work, you know, and he's, um, he's unstoppable at times. And uh, is, is, James Harden kind of like cursed or did he just, you know, do something bad to the basketball gods because the man has not ever missed hardly a game. And then he gets finally a legitimate opportunity to where he doesn't have to do everything to win a title. And and he's got some running mates that can, you know, take over the load for him when he does, you know, have his little yearly choke job, I guess, if you want to call it, he he is pretty hard, pretty done pretty bad in big time games in the playoffs. And this is really like I always felt like the perfect spot for him because he didn't have to do that. He could, no. but he didn't have to. And now mm-hmm. he's getting nine. He can't stay healthy all of a sudden. When he was like the Iron Man of the NBA for a while there. It's just yeah, it's been a weird year, hasn't it? It has been a weird year, but you know when you think about it, um, they came out with a stat. This is probably like the highest rated, uh, you know, percentage of NBA injuries um, this year um, alone, just because, you know, you didn't really, I mean, you had a little bit of the preseason, but I mean, a little bit of the preseason, but I mean, everybody wasn't going to, but everybody wasn't going to be playing like 72 games. They didn't get the proper training or anything that they usually do just because of how COVID was playing out. So it was just like kind of hard. And then like, you know, having a shortened seat, having a shortened off season kind of affects it too. Cause a lot of people, 
you know, like to take their long vacations and the their long breaks. season was every other day. It was unreal how tight they packed that the second half together. When they came out with the first half of the schedule, I thought it was like the whole thing when I first before I really sat down and looked at it because it was so big, yeah. like spread out. And then the second half was like a two months and done. It's done. Yeah, it's it's. I just didn't like. I just didn't like it at all. But I mean, I understand they were trying to, you know, give the fans what they want. Try to see the what the you know try to get the players, you know, what they want. I mean, not what they want, but just the players they want to see. But you know, it was that, that was just a grueling oh, schedule. That Christmas Day, Mike. We all know that's really what it was. They they lost so much money from COVID. They had to get that Christmas Day money. Mm-hmm. That low viewership in the NBA Finals between the Heat and the Lakers and all that. But you know, we're not going to get into the reasons why every, it was no every rating, single you know. person that I've ever seen on social sports social media knew exactly what happened every game. But the, the numbers said nobody watched it. Uh, it's, yeah, because nobody watches on TV anymore. No, no, exactly. Like the, have you ever really looked into the tracking for like uh, audience numbers for like radio shows, like actual like radio networks? It's ridiculous. Mm. Like mm. the actual number of people that download uh, the Dan Levitard podcast every week versus the numbers that they get in their radio ratings, it's like twelve to one. It's wow, stupid. It's crazy. It's time. So I, I don't listen to any of that stuff. Everybody still watches. <laughs> Yeah, now he's right on that level solid. I don't care what anybody says. If they're in a bubble, if they're in an airplane, if they're playing on a a, a big boat out in the middle of the ocean, I'm, I'm watching the NBA playoffs. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. We've had a great playoffs this year. I mean, well, who do you think's winning that series, though? I, I think I think it's, it's weird because it's the situ- situation like the Clippers where it, if they play their very best, it's pretty obvious, and that's – are going to be the best team if they play it to their A game. But this is a perfect example of where I tend to, to fall towards the side of, you know, stars win, ta- win championships. Like this is a perfect example of the Bucks are a team that have, have a, a whole team. They're deep. They know how to play together. They played together for a while. They've lost together. These guys are just like contract killers that get hired in to do a job. And, and, you know, a couple of them go down and they've got nothing behind them, you know, Mm-hmm. All those guys that sound so great as their depth aren't aren't going to do much in the in the finals if you if they get thrust into a big role because one of your because forty percent of your scoring got hurt in the last round. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's a tough way to win. I agree with that. Um, you know, I picked the Nets to I picked the Nets to win, but I I also said something in quotation marks to if they're healthy because mm-hmm. you know. Before the playoffs, uh, Kyrie, Harden, KD only play eight games together in the regular season. So that's mind-blowing that they only play eight games together in the regular season. And then come playoff time, you know, they finally can play together. But then the question was, with the Nets team, could they stay healthy? Because they're not a great defensive team. You know, they tried and they couldn't really have – they didn't really have size as well. But if they can stay healthy, they can be a dangerous team. Now, with Harden going down with that hamstring injury, you're like, okay, maybe the Knicks could still get this because Kyrie and KD was doing really well, um, except for, you know, game three. Game three is different when, you, uh, when you're away on the road. But then Kyrie goes down. So it's like, is it going to favor the Bucks? The Bucks got to take advantage of that without having, you know, holding Kyrie on the floor. Mm-hmm. So this one's going to be a toss-up. I'm just ready to see 
But it's all about who wants it more, who really wants it more. Bruno Hoser's legacy is on the line because I don't think he'll be the coach of the Bucks next year if they don't prove themselves. Mm-hmm. And if Milton stays aggressive and Giannis stays aggressive and everybody else comes in, you know, Drew Holiday actually shows out and scores 20-something points because I feel like he could be the X factor in this series. Losing Dan Vincenzo really hurt too as well, but – you know, Drew Holiday hasn't really lived up to his potential. You know, he hit that game winner in game three. We can talk about it, but he only scored nine points. This is a game winner. He scored nine points. So I, I like to see. Vincenzo um, might be a starter, but to me, he's like the seventh most important guy on that team. Like if you're going to exactly. lose somebody, he's not the worst guy to lose. Obviously, you don't want to lose anybody to injury. But yes. I mean, it's it was if it's going to be him and that's the one, I think they'll take it. Yes, I would, but it's a toss-up, man. I literally don't know who's going to win. You know, it's just going to be interesting. What you got? Um, I'm, I'm, I got one reason why, and I'm taking the Bucks. I, I was just on halftime two days ago, ranting and raving about how, how why did anybody think the Nets were going to lose? Look how good they are. And injuries can change things in a hurry, and even beyond that, I think now with where it's kind of like obvious. It was almost like big three versus big three. Obviously, the Bucks, the second and third guys aren't nearly as good as the second and third guys in, in Brooklyn, but they are, you know, they did have really, really good years. You know, one led the league in steals, and the other one almost did a 50 40 90 season again and yep. just got better at everything that he's gotten better at every year that he's played. And Budenholzer even deserves credit for being flexible he's he's changed his style of play last year they gave the ball to Giannis 35 feet from the basket every single play and said go attack the rim and and dunk and and score on people now he gets the ball eight feet from the rim and it's 10 times easier for him to score and now in the big moments of the game when they're they need a bucket on the perimeter he's not standing out there behind the three-point line unsure what to do because Chris Middleton has completely taken over that role is the the late game kind of you know focal point of the offense, and I think that's the smartest move they could have made because to win an NBA title, you have to be able to get a mid range to to deep almost three pointer on a guy. You have to be able to pull up off a dribble or out of a screen and hit a big shot. And big that's why that's why it's hard to win with a big man as your as your best player. I think. And now that it's down to the to Giannis and 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 KD kind of on one-on-one, so to speak, is the the two stars that are a little bit more evenly matched now. I feel like KD has a perfect excuse if they don't win, and he's already won a couple titles, and this means more to Giannis than anything in the world. Like, I think he's – we're going to see the absolute best effort that he's ever, ever, like, going to put out, you know, at least in terms of how hard he tries to win these games. Like, I think this – this if they get past Brooklyn, like, to me – unless they just get crushed by Philadelphia or something, or, or if Atlanta comes back, if they just get embarrassed by one of those teams, I think this is this series can kind of solidify that he's he is as good as everybody says and he can win a title. And mm. I just felt like Miami was that roadblock for them. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll get bounced, they'll get trounced the next two games like they did earlier. But I was with this injury, I just think it's kind of opened a door for them. They have a good chance now. Yeah, I mean, the only thing about the Bucks, um, I watched the game today. The only thing I didn't like about the Bucks is like they stand around a lot. 
and nobody ain't willing to cut. And when they cut and when they get open shots, they're a really good team and all that. And Brooke Lopez, you know, like, you know, a guy that used to be one of the best centers in the league and you got him shooting three pointers. And I was telling somebody earlier, I said, that's just ridiculous. I mean, he'll hit those, but like, if he's not effective those, then that's basically, he's just basically just a decoy in that system and all that. But why not put him in the post? Why not put him in the post? Why not put Giannis in the low post instead of putting him in the high post and all that? You know, Giannis, you know, like I said, you know, instead of Giannis dribbling up and down the court, I'm glad they got Drew Holiday, you know, to do that well and all that, you know. But Giannis still has to develop a jump shot. If he develops a jump shot or mid-range game or something, and he can't shoot terrible from the free throws because they can hack a Giannis in a minute, you know, a smart team. And, you know. He's been you know, a little better this year. He's, he's been a little better. So, He's been so. a little better, but he still still has work to do in that jump shot. If it, we're talking about a completely different team, if Giannis develops that jump shot, and we're talking about a whole different team, because what if Milton, you know, as aggressive as he was the last two games, what if he was like the in the first two games? I mean, put, he, put about I mean, sixty pounds of muscle on Kevin Durant and make him two or three years younger. That's Giannis with a good jumper, you know. Ooh, but then you know, KD still have that scoring ability. He still got the handle of the ball, you know. He still. I think if he couldn't hit sixty percent almost from mid range, how much less lethal that offensive game would be. I mean, he'd still be a great three point shooter, and he'd still have that length and speed. But like the, the to me, what makes it so impossible to guard is he can go full speed at you and stop on a dime and hit a shot from anywhere on the court. And if Giannis had that, I think it'd be. Oh God. So oh, God, yes. Yeah. But he's never gonna be that. I don't think he's I don't think he was ever a guy that should have been pushed out to the perimeter the way he has. I think 15 years ago he's he's a a Shaquille O'Neal, not a you know a, a, a perimeter player whatsoever. I think he's got the size and the and the freak athleticism of, of like the old school centers that were just unreal how athletic they were at that size. But they didn't weren't they weren't expected to hit you know twenty seven foot jump shots all night long like so I've always made the joke somebody got fell in love with watching Giannis take that one dribble from the half court line and get to the rim and decided he was going to be a point guard because the dude's a center pretty much yeah. I mean he's a he's almost seven, almost seven feet tall he's like two hundred and sixty pounds yeah he's agile and can and he has a little bit of a handle and he's athletic but everybody in the NBA is like that now it's just the way mm-hmm. the games play. He's mm-hmm. a center that gets kind of like I feel like he gets graded on a guard's scale and not a guard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it was weird from the very beginning that he's been on the perimeter so much. But mm-hmm. they, they've been they've been better, and I, I think it means more. I think it means more to everyone on that team to to win than it does on anyone on Brooklyn's team. You got a first year head coach. You got a guy who's won two couple titles. You got Kyrie Irving. One day he cares about basketball. One day it's you know not even really important to him. I don't think so. You know, and James Harden. I don't know. Is all of a sudden since he's been in Brooklyn, he's a, he seems like a great teammate and like he's all about basketball. But you know, in Houston, all he wanted to do was go party at the strip clubs. I think so. I don't really know what to think about him either. Which I don't blame you. You know, I've heard Houston's has some fun ones. I've never been, but I mean, I, I was actually just in a halftime room uh, two nights ago, and one of the guys from Houston that was in there was joking about how you got to be careful when you come to Houston because everybody ends up getting arrested at least once. <laughs> so, you know, maybe it's not his fault. Maybe it was just too much temptation. I don't know. But 
I just feel like Milwaukee needs it badly for a lot of guys, a lot of reasons, and Brooklyn doesn't. But if if these guys are somehow come back and get healthy, or or they just play their game, they're the better team. But it's not not always how it goes in, in sports. That's why they play the game, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I agree with that. So who we who we want to do? Let we got two series left, right? Who you want to talk about next? Man, you know, um, you know, the Clippers in the Utah series, you know, that's that one is going to be really interesting. You know, Utah winning the first two games at home and Donovan Mitchell is just, I mean, he is just coming. He is coming. I've seen it, you know, like we said earlier, you've seen it since the first day that he was coming, you know, that rookie of the year day with him and Ben Simmons, you know, it should have been Donovan Mitchell that won it, but, you know, Ben Simmons won it for obvious reasons. Um, you know, even though he wasn't a rookie, but he got hurt his rookie year, but, you know, that's something about later. But Donovan Mitchell is just budding. He's coming. He is really coming. That Utah Jazz team is deep. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. Joe Ingles, you know, doing what he does. My, the thing about this, and nobody never talks about it, Mike Carley's been out. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like they are gonna be really, really lethal once he comes back. Yeah, once he comes too. back, he will they that team will be so so lethal. You know, the Clippers got really got hot last night, you know, with Paul George coming out at the beginning and playing probably his best game and Kawhi closing it. You know, they shot a lot better you know, than the Utah Jazz in terms of field goal percentage and their efficiency. Like, Reggie Jackson was 6 for 8 and was shooting 75%, got 17 points. Morris hit seven threes in game seven against the, the Mavericks. Like but this team, you always talk about, like, okay, they're going to be, like, one of the top two, three teams, but they be so inconsistent at times. Like, one, one, one game, they'll really hit and – Another game, they're not hitting. Paul George is not being consistent. Kawhi Leonard, you know, is not aggressive enough, you know. He could take over anytime he wants to. What happened to the other people? I mean, there's no leadership with the Clippers. And, you know, my man Mo, you know, from off the ball network, got him going to the finals. But if you don't have that leadership with the Clippers. Yeah, it's then- funny. Mo was in the group chat talking about how bad the Clippers were when they were down 2-0 against Milwaukee or against the Mavs. I I can probably pull up the, the message. And he said, the Clippers suck. And he goes, I don't, you know, I don't, talk about, I don't say that much, but the Clippers suck. <laughs> Shout out to Mo. I've said some, some things that didn't age well either, but. He was pretty, yeah, I'm sure they weren't very good a couple of them, not that long ago. I was yeah. kind of too. I thought they were going to be a complete meltdown, and they proved me wrong. They turned it around. They and did. Like they're, going to do, they're doing it again now. Yeah, I man. I think, you know, Rajon Rondo may not even have to play to be a huge piece no. for this team. No. Just from the fact that other than him or other than Kawhi before they got him, they have a lot of good players, but nobody that's ever won anything. Nobody that ever has really ever achieved a thing. Like like Patrick Beverly's fun to watch annoy a guy on defense for a while, but he's not really that good. He's never been a winner. Lou Williams is a great scorer off the bench, but that's all he can do. And yep. you know, Sergi Baca was a good pickup. I think that was a really good move for them because I think two years in a row now, Montres Harrell has kind of disappeared so to speak in the playoffs and it's not even really his own fault like he didn't he didn't get played it was weird no i I don't know frank vogel confused me the whole series but Mm -hmm. anyway it's just um oh sorry i 
totally brain farted what I was going to say. <laughs> no, you did. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, we were talking about him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the dude's just like, wasn't he, didn't, um, what's his name? Uh, his coach at Louisville say that he didn't think he should go to the NBA. He needed another year in college. And mm-hmm. then he just like blew up as soon as he got to the league. And I, I didn't really know much about him in college. I remember him at, at Louisville, but he was, he wasn't like this. No. And it's kind of, I've heard that was the way that I heard a story about Russell Westbrook that was like that too. He said, uh, the guy that was talking about him said he knew Russ in college and he was this quiet, shy, like really mild mannered kid that didn't talk to anybody and was not real aggressive. And he said he saw him in the training camp this rookie year, like just barking and yelling at people. And he said he didn't, he was a completely different person. I've met the guy before and he, he, you know, he followed, he like covered him in his whole college career. And he said it was just unreal. And he, he said, I remember uh, one of the coaches telling me right then, he said, Russell Westbrook's going to do things that nobody else has ever done. He just mm-hmm. look at him. He's a maniac. And yep. it was just, it was cool. I, I like stories like that where you, you just kind of come out of nowhere, like uh, Dennis Rodman, you know, Scottie Pippen, both of them really weren't unknown. And mm-hmm. they just, you know, exploded onto the scene at the right time and, I think uh, Donovan Mitchell is maybe was maybe a little bit more known than than a couple of those guys. Obviously, Louisville's a big program, but mm-hmm. he just he's one of those guys that college just the college game didn't fit his style. It, the, there no. wasn't enough, you know, the court was too compacted or whatever. There wasn't enough spacing. The, the offenses you just see that sometimes from guys. They just their game just fits the NBA and. Mm-hmm. and looks to me like he's making that superstar leap like i think if he didn't get hurt he would have got some mvp votes like he's yeah, yeah. he's terrific because they spent 200 million dollars on a guy that doesn't score and yeah, yeah. they still one of the best offenses in the nba and this mm-hmm. isn't this isn't you know the jerry sloan pick and roll after pick and roll utah jazz they shoot 35 threes a game and make more than anybody yeah, and yeah. legit they're really good but really all that being said, the Clippers still, I say, have more talent. They just don't have anybody that knows how to win except Kawhi. Paul George, for whatever reason, was almost good enough with Roy Hibbert to beat LeBron a few years ago in Indy. And then ever since then, it's like something broke up here. You know, it was like, it was like a loose wire or something between his ears because – if you look at his shot charts, you look at his uh, the game tape. He everything looks the same from the regular season, and until the last game or two, he he's been awful for like three years, and it just it, it, I hate to see it because I do make fun of him a lot, but he was terrific in Indiana. I, I, I that doesn't make sense to me at all how that Indiana team was even anywhere close to as good as they were, considering the the you know I guess the reputation that Paul George has now. Like, imagine telling some kid that just started watching the NBA like the last two years. Oh, yeah, Paul George was almost good enough to beat LeBron and Dwayne Wade with a, a center that couldn't move and David West. Like, it's just something happened because he's he's not the the player that he was. His numbers are still great, but he fi- he showed up in that in this last game, so maybe he's going to turn around. I just it's yeah. a situation where the sell or the Clippers have more talent in my eyes, but they're not the better team. Yeah, Paul George, about that Paul George one, I think the reason he was so good in Indiana because, like, Danny Granger was hurt. 
And like you needed somebody that could really score and all that. You know, you can't depend on Lance Stevenson or David West or George Hill or Roy Hibble at times. You know, you needed that, you know, that burning superstar. And Paul George has been a score. And, you know, he had to carry the scoring load and everything. And then when he broke his leg in the Olympic game and all that, everybody was like, uh, Paul George probably won't be the same. And he proved everyone wrong and all that. We've kind of forgot that he was second or third in MVP voting when he was OKC in that one year with him and Russell Westbrook and Carmelo. Mm-hmm. We tend to forget that he was second or third in MVP. Um, but, you know, just dealing with people. That that really, the, there was no pressure because there was no expectations. And no expectations. He's still the NBA. With the NBA. Same with Indiana. There was no expectations except for that one year when, you know, after they proved themselves in 2013, then, yeah, they had expectations in 2014. And then they almost lost coming in against Miami, you know, in that Eastern Conference Finals. So that was a lot. So when he gets dealt with expectation, it just seems like he fails. But then when there's no expectations, he exceeds he, – he just exceeds when there's no expectations right. with them. But, you know, it's hard to deal with people that's, like, scoring mentality. It was hard for him to deal with Russell Westbrook the way he scores that basketball. You know, it's probably, like, you know, it's, it's probably bothering him, you know, with, you know, Kawhi, you know, the way he goes about it every day and the way he scores and all that. You know, it just seems like that dynamic is great. You know, you know, everybody was comparing it to Mike and Scotty in Chicago, like – two defensive players with their wingspans and all that, that they're going to do something and wreck up the league. And they're so much different players and all that. So it just seems like, I don't know. On one, seems- on one side, you got a guy who gets better literally every game as the, the stakes get higher has yep. for his entire career. And a guy who is literally the only player at his position at the time that did things, the things that he does that Scott yeah. different did. Yeah. On the other side, you got yeah, Kawhi Leonard is pretty damn good. He's 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 a he. There's no Jordans, but he's a pretty damn good impression. And, yes. And Paul George just doesn't even come Fitz close. Scotty, it's just a totally different type of player. Like mm-hmm. he's more like Tony Kukoc than he was like Scotty Pippen. <laughs> Tony Kukoc, man, I, I feel bad for Tony Kukoc after watching the Last Dance. That dude got hated on just because Jerry Krause liked him. Michael yeah. Jordan and Scottie Pippen made it their goal to like ruin his rookie year just because they they didn't like Jerry Krause. Yeah, <laughs> feel kind of back to that personality clash. Jerry Krause and Jerry Claw uh, Jerry Krause didn't like you know they thought organizations win championships and stuff you know just you know Jordan never liked them after you know the whole thing in '86. I mean. You know, just, you know, we could talk more about that later, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, that Clipper team is, has more talent and everything. Um, but, you See know, like that's on Kawhi Leonard in the fourth quarter. It's unbelievable, ain't it? 17 for 17. Unbelievable. And he never lost a game when he's down 0-2. That's going to be – that's the thing I said earlier on my recap is it's going to be interesting in this series because he never lost a game when down 0-2. So we'll see how – it goes, but I will still say Utah might get this in seven games. Yeah, I, I still think Utah's going to win too. I think I think Utah's just deep. They they people like to downplay the idea that in the pros, you know, teamwork matters and and liking your teammates makes a difference. And you know, having that continuity as a team, I think it really does when you're at the very highest level. Like, and you mm-hmm. know, these guys are there to they got your back no matter what. Like. 
you got to feel like there's some NBA teams where, yeah, they, they bring it together a bunch of talent, but are they really playing for each other? Did that Clippers team last year care about each other? Or were they busy making fun of Paul George in the locker room and he was trying to motivate the team? You know, like that kind of thing. Like, yep. you, don't, you don't see that from Utah. You see a bunch of guys that like playing basketball together that are really, really, really good at what they do. And, and that's exactly what – what they're good at is what you need to be good at in today's NBA. They're like, I think they're a lot more analytically driven than people realize. Yeah. And everybody, you know, they're going to talk about analytics all day with Rudy Gobert. And I'll be the biggest, loudest one about that because he is an unreal difference maker in some ways. But they don't look like a team that is just, you know, they do everything analytically because they move the ball so well. Yeah, they're they're completely analytically driven. All they do is shoot threes and, and take it to the rim like like Houston did. But it's yeah. not so ugly like one guy standing around dribbling. It's a, a really, really well-run offense that gets those kind of shots. Yep. And you just got to give a lot of credit to Quinn Snyder. Like I thought after, after the COVID thing that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy O'Bear were never going to play a game together again. I thought, I thought so too. Mm-hmm. I didn't think there was a chance they'd play together again from yeah. what the, they said. And I never heard one thing about it all year. It never even came up. It was just like, nope, we're not talking about that. Move on. They're fine. We're friends. It's cool. We're going to go win a title. And they might. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be interesting if you get, get like a – Utah Jazz Milwaukee Bucks final. I think that'd be the n- nightmare matchup for the front office of the NBA. They're mm-hmm. all ratings, but I think it'd be great to watch. I think it'd be, it would be. I'm excited. The the last of the teams that are left, the last team to win a title, it was like 86 or, or 89 or something. It's been like 16 years. It was at least like 20 or something years. So it's been a long time since any of these teams that are still left have won a title. So it'll be mm-hmm. nice to see that it's not, you know. It's not going to be LeBron, Steph, or might be Katie. Still might be Katie. Be okay. <laughs> but yeah. it's just there's a little bit more parity than there's been. So I, I I do think I do think Utah's going to win that series, though. I'm with you on that. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and it's going to be exciting. You know, LeBron and Steph Curry not being there for the finals and all that it gives a lot of teams a chance. You know, the West Coast, the West is a toss-up. East. You know, you know, you know, some, t- you know, it's going to be somebody and, you know, Philadelphia that's going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, whether it be the Nets or the uh, Bucks. But, you know, the West is going to be a toss up. You know, it's like, like I said, as soon as the Lakers lost that first round, you know, everybody's like, OK, the Clippers might get this one. This is, might be their chance. But like I said, they got to get through this deep uh, Utah Jazz team that. So the West uh, is super deep, right? Everybody said all year going into this year, this might be the best Western Conference in, in a long, long time. Like 13 teams could vie for playoffs. I get that. But when the late with the Lakers not being what they were last year, Everybody knows the flaws with the Clippers, and they they tend to rear their head at the wrong time. You know, Portland's flawed. Houston fell apart and obviously isn't what they were. But Dallas is Luka Doncic and a bunch of spare parts, really, honestly. And so all these teams that look like they're going to be so good, Denver, you know, Jamal Murray got hurt, are really not quite what we've all made them out to be. And – the Jazz and the Suns are, and I don't think anybody really ex- knew to what extent they were real. And I, it's just 
so everybody was so adamant how deep the West was. I think the East had the better teams. I think honestly, the top couple teams in the East are better than the top teams in the West. And I don't remember a whole lot of years where I've ever felt like that. The West is kind of always, you know, the Celtics were good with those teams in Miami. You know, I, I felt like obviously my everybody they were favored every year, but the Spurs teams were terrific too. So it's just it's, it was interesting to see because all of all of the narrative was oh my god, two through eight in the West are going to be so good, and and they're all fairly flawed. They're not as good as anybody really thought they were going to be. So it's been a it's been interesting. Um, let's let's have Phoenix in Utah this year. Why not? It's a year, <laughs> year let's do it. Sounds like fun. Yes. So I'm, I want to know your thoughts on what did you think when the 76ers got um, Doc Rivers in the, from the get-go? Did you, were, you, were you up on that, or did you think it was a bad move? Um, I wasn't a huge fan, and I was wrong. Um, I thought it was a good move because I felt like, you know, he would bring identity to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid just because, you know, he won a championship before dealing with, you know, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pills, Way Allen, you know, them tied to Rondo even, you know, with the Eagles he had and then with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and all that. But I kind of – but I was so glad he was the coach because we always been saying about that Philadelphia team, you know, hey, you know, you have MB, you have Simmons, but Tobias Harris gets lost in the shuffle of how good of a player he is. You've mm-hmm. seen the last time – he was with Doc Rivers. He almost became an all-star with the Clippers and then got traded away to Philadelphia. And he didn't really do much, you know. But now with Doc Rivers there, he can, you know, continue his ways like he did with the Clippers. I thought that Doc Rivers brought identity and I thought he brought, you know, a defensive mind to that Philadelphia 76ers team. You know, Ben Simmons being second in, MV, uh, in defensive player of the year probably or top three, actually. Joel Embiid, you know, finally telling him because that's the, been the problem with Embiid the past years. He's just so passive. He don't want to get in the paint or because he has so much great footwork in the post, like probably the best foot, footwork in the NBA in, t- in the post. And finally, he's aggressive in the post. When you're aggressive in the post, he could easily be top three MVP every single year just of how good of a talent he is, but he just likes taking them threes and you needed somebody to you know, tell them, hey, you need to get your butt in the post. You needed to tell somebody who was going to be the who's, whose team it is. And it's Joel Embiid's team. Uh, the offense revolves around Joel Embiid. And I don't think they had that, you know, you know, with Brent, ba- Brent Brown. But the thing that was the thing that really changed it is Steph Curry. Absolutely. When you when you think about that team a couple years ago that went into the Eastern Conference Finals against uh, Toronto with Kawhi, they had JJ Redick, who was mm-hmm. based in Seth Curry's playing that JJ Redick type of role. You needed like somebody that could shoot that basketball and could score that basketball to get open shots and all that, you know. Instead of having Embiid and Simmons, you know, and all that going, you know, and um, yeah. so definitely, you know, that was a really good move for you know, them to get Seth Curry. And he's been playing really well in the playoffs as well. Dude, uh, I that was I, the biggest offseason move by far. Uh, like, like uh, the under-the-radar moves, because everybody was talking about Chris Paul, obviously, in those moves. But I thought Steph Curry was the, like, the exact guy that that team needed because they couldn't shoot at all. Guy. Perfect guy. And Shake Milton, man, 
you know, he's going to be a really good player. He's really effective for that 76 or team, especially somebody that they could rely on coming off the bench and all that, you know. Um, and, you know, Danny Green, you know, getting him for defensive um, purposes and getting someone like Dwight Howard to bring aggressiveness, you know, into the uh, big man row and everything. So that team is that team is loaded. That's probably the best 76 or team, I'll say, than the one that went to the Eastern Conference Finals um, against Toronto. So, um, you know, but the thing about this 76ers team is, you know, even with that small meniscus tail and um, B's doing well, how long is that going to keep up? Because if that goes down, Tobias Hill has got to carry that scoring load and everything, and everyone has to step up, and Dwight Howard has to step up. So we don't know how healthy MB is going to be. So, but that 76ers team is a whole lot different. It's a whole lot different. And I'm happy to see that because they've been for years just mentally weak. And then finally they'll they'll struggle mentally. So I'm I'm glad they brought the additions that they did. So we did a, a Christmas Day special episode where we gave every NBA team a Christmas present. And my Christmas present to the Philadelphia 76ers was a pissed off, in shape Joel Embiid. Yes. And it's kind of exactly what he's been this year. And yes. he, I was so like dumbfounded at the idea that people said he didn't play hard in the playoffs when they got swept because it was just him. And he averaged like 34 points and 14 rebounds in that series. But he, he didn't play hard. You don't get 34 points a game in the playoffs not playing hard, not caring. Like people said that about Shaquille O'Neal and it's like anytime a big man has a a personality or has interests that aren't all about basketball. It's like, they're, they're not serious about it. Like Joel Embiid was like a trash talker. Like I felt like he was always like a gamer and never got like the, the credit for it, but he was out of shape last year. And I don't think Brett Brown had the ability with what, he went through with that team by no fault of his own. I just don't think he was in a position where he could ever really demand the kind of accountability that those guys needed because who's going to listen to a guy that lost 65 games three years in a row, no matter who, who they had on their team, they weren't trying to win, but mm-hmm. you know, they're just, it's, it's going to be really, really hard to say, all right, now we really need to turn it on and be serious all the time, guys. When, you know, we had to basically find ways to get along in the three longest worst seasons ever and so he he just didn't really have a chance i think to, to take that team to the, to the next level and well i loved what you said about doc you know deciding whose team it was he he, he went even further than that in my eyes he definitely decided whose team it was which they needed to do and yes. i've never understood why there was even a question about it because joel Embiid is like you know one of the all-time He's going to be one of the all-time great centers, I think, statistically, if, if he keeps, stays healthy. He's up there. He's so good. It's, he's, he's terrific. And Ben Simmons is is really, really okay at a lot of things. And he's elite at a couple things. And I think everybody thought he was going to be elite at a lot of things, and, and he's not quite that. But I do think he's, like, hands down the best perimeter defender in basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes way too under reported not not that people don't talk about him being good but they just don't really value how much his defense means because there's times where him Tybal and 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 MB look like the three best defenders in that in the NBA and they're all on the same team like they can really really shut teams down and MB looked like 
you know, a, a hungry rookie that's trying to make the team out of camp in these last couple games, the way he's been playing against Capella. Like there were like four times in that, in the last game where Capella, any other time would have had a wide open lob dunk. And Embiid was like, I mean, going back and forth, almost looked like he was running with suicides. He was going so hard and he did, he kept it up the whole game. And I mean, that's what everybody's wanted from him is how good can he be when he gives that kind of effort? And the answer is, you know, MVP caliber, obviously. And the, another thing that was just the genius move of, of, I think, of Doc Rivers was, so everybody wants to talk about Ben Simmons not shooting threes or how we need him to shoot threes if we're going to win. So we're just not going to talk about Ben Simmons on offense at all. We're, we're going to give the ball to Tobias Harris. We're going to make him our number two option. And we're going to let Ben go do the things that Ben does. And I'm sure he told him from the very get-go, I don't give a shit if you shoot threes. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to play our game. And it's just – it's a stupid narrative that doesn't matter. And yeah. It was, it was genius because it completely – it became Embiid's team. Ben Simmons was able to do what he wanted to do. Tobias Harris, like you said, plays great in the system that Doc Rivers runs. And I, I wasn't a big believer of going into it of Doc Rivers. He changed my mind. And it, it makes me wonder if I'm more of a homer than a fan than I ever really want to admit because I think I just didn't like him because he was the Clippers coach, and I, I can't like the Clippers. They're little brother. They're never going to win until they get their own. They get when they get their own building. Maybe they can. Maybe they'll get a title, but not till then. But mm-hmm. I just felt like he was a little bit of an overrated coach, and two guys that hadn't lived up to expectations in Embiid and Simmons. Three guys that kind of don't really live up to the expectations coming together. But I was wrong for sure. It was really just you know they needed that that voice that they could respect to kind of get that accountability out of them. And I'm so happy they're finally good because I said about four years in a row, I picked them in the middle of the East, but I said, if they put it together, they could be the best team in the East. And they finally mm-hmm. did this year. So they're finally, nice. finally can get my, I told you so in there. <laughs> but, and we've talked all about them and rightfully so they're probably going to win the series. It looks like they figured out whatever Atlanta was doing that they couldn't guard in round in game one. Cause mm-hmm. Atlanta, couldn't get anything going but you got to give him credit i mean if you would have told me in game one against the 76ers Embiid had 39 points and the hawks looked like they you know had it won it pretty handily i would have laughed at you like no way Embiid scored 40 almost 40 and they lost to the hawks no but they're 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 playing hard trey young we've talked about it before but i can't say enough about it i'm kind of mad at the hoopers man they're like the biggest Atlanta Hawks fans, and they didn't do enough to to really convince me of how good this team was. They should have been yelling about it all year long, and they're they're just a little bit too humble, I think. Yeah, I, I just thought you know that you know you know you think about you know the best teams on the East, and then you think of everyone else that was in you know in that playoff spot and all that, and you see Atlanta, you know, in that playoff spot, you're like Atlanta. It's like you know usually for you know because you haven't seen Atlanta in the playoffs since you know Bruno Hosa was coaching the Atlanta Hawks, and you just like Atlanta Hawks really like really you know Trey Young you know, but I think this is probably the best Trey Young you see just the way that he gets after it and he's making smarter decisions and he's, mm-hmm. he, he's one of the best at the pick and rolls and then just getting, um, you know, having Wando as in his ear before getting traded over to the Clippers really helped, you know, and then having John Collins come back 
Um, Clint Capella addition was really fantastic for him. DeAndre Hono stepping up to the plate. Bondanovich was probably the best one that they got because from Sacramento, um, just the way he shoots the basketball. I mean, one of the best shooters in the league, and he's a Reddish, terrific. Reddish was hurt all year. Gallinari was hurt for three quarters of the year. This mm-hmm. team got so many good players that are, that are just like, they haven't even figured it out yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And they got the coach too as well because Little Kills was, you know, he was all right, you know, but again, Nate Mamoon was actually a good step. That was an extra step. That Atlanta Hawks organization gets don't really get enough credit for that. So definitely they they definitely got this team up and running. And this is great that they'll get in deep in the playoffs. Um and getting that experience so that they can go into next year and see what they need to do. I feel like they need at least maybe one or two more pieces just to be a contender. You I know, think we'll see them move a package of a couple of these five or six guys they have that, you know, are attractive to teams and, and go after another, like, ready-to-win-now kind of superstar. Because there's only so much time to, to develop – you know, young players and yeah, they may all turn out to be terrific, but you can't develop five guys at once. You know, it's just, it's, it, it, there's not enough basketball to go around. Somebody's getting shortchanged. And ultimately like, it'd be like the Lakers deciding not to trade those three guys for Anthony Davis. Like, yeah, those three guys all kind of blossomed since then, but they're still not Anthony Davis. And it's just, sometimes that's how it is. And I think it, being a Hawks fan, you know, you want them to keep that young nucleus together. But, you know, is a Kevin Herter or, you know, DeAndre Hunter, are they worth more in a trade? Because somebody sees that, oh, man, they play a limited role and look how good they are. Let's, if we put them in our offense and give, and feature them, how good could they be? And, you know, when that never, then they may never live up to that all the way, or they might. But, you know... You got a guy like Trey Young, you got to do what you can to build the best possible team to win. And they've got to make, you know, like you said, at least one or two moves to be at the level of like Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. But you got to give them credit. You know, I didn't expect them to be here. I, when I saw they were playing the Knicks in the first round, I was so happy for everybody who worked as Knicks fans. I was like, man, you guys got like the best possible matchup you could have gotten. And then for whatever reason, they did nothing that they did in the regular season. They played completely differently on defense. They they didn't – they weren't aggressive on offense. Everybody but Derrick Rose acted like they didn't know how to play. And yeah. It was just weird. It was really weird because Thibodeau's a good coach. Yes. And, and Nate McMillan, according to everybody, can't win the playoffs. And Nate McMillan whipped his butt, you know. That was unexpected. But I guess I guess I should have been watching the Hoopers podcast more. <laughs> yeah, I was a big believer in the Knicks too, but man, you know, Julius Randle is like he just like played really well in the regular season and then in the playoffs. It was just like a billion headlights for him. It was just like the lights were just too bright for him in the playoffs. I'm, I'm, I have a, per, you know, a selfish rooting interest in the Bucks and the Clippers because I said a couple months ago on on the air that I wouldn't be surprised if we had a Bucks Clippers final. It could be they're good teams. They can make it. I could ride that for a while. That's a really good. I told you so. I like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I'm, I got a little bit of the, you know, the the old school sports caster in me where I, I mean, anytime I get something right, that's all I ever talk about. And I get something wrong, I don't even, I don't even know what you mean. What do you, I didn't say that. No. No, Stephen and I try to be pretty, uh, pretty, you know, objective. He's, it's easier for him. He doesn't really have a team. I, I can't help but 
hate everybody that the Lakers ever play. So, mm-hmm. but this is gonna this is gonna be a fun next couple rounds, man. I'm I'm excited for it. It's gonna be different, you know. It's not gonna be the same old, same old. I don't have to worry. I don't have to sit there watching every game like sweating because my team might lose. I can just enjoy it. So, and I've enjoyed this, man. This has been a lot of fun. This almost two hours flew by, didn't it? Oh yeah, man. It flew by quick. Oh, the one episode, one episode I've had to do alone so far. I looked at the clock and I was like 15 minutes in. I was like, I said everything I wanted to talk about. <laughs> what am I gonna do? And then I, I got a rhythm and I was fine. But it was like it drug on forever. And this is like, been doing this for two hours. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been awesome. This is the first time you know I've ever even really done anything together, and I feel like it was it was pretty natural. I liked it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on the show, man. Like I said, keep doing your thing, man. I love the show and I love the I love the breakdown and everything. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean, I love it, man. Keep your videos are like one of my favorite things to watch now. It's quick. It gets me all everything I need to know and you're entertaining and you're fun to, fun to listen to. Ah, thank you. It's awesome. I and we we did some you know, some social media polls and stuff and uh, very, very big return on what people want to see from this is short kind of video recaps and little quick, you know, like little mini podcast kind of things. Like I know a guy that does a two minute podcast every day and it's like blown up how many listen, how many views he gets because who doesn't have two minutes, you know, it's smart. Very That's smart. kind of stuff you get it off the ball network. We're, we're trying to be, you know, the best we can be where we want to be the future. Uh, I, I think we can be. We've got a lot of exciting, exciting ideas and stuff coming in the works. I'm working on a, a pretty big thing to get some uh, some revenue going that could really, really do a lot for us. And we yes. can talk a little bit about it off the air, but I just wanted to tease everybody that's listening still that, you know, don't go anywhere. I mean, not tonight. Go go to bed. It's almost one in the morning. <laughs> but don't don't sleep on us because we're coming and it's it's going to be fun. So. I'm glad you're along for the ride, Justin. Man, it's it's been this has been great. Ready to ready to call tonight and thank the people for listening. Yeah, man. Hey, thank y'all for listening, man. Hey, it's been so much fun, man. Definitely tune in to more off the ball network stuff. Definitely for sure. Absolutely. We got lots of talented guys that want to put in a lot of work. I work almost fifty hours, fifty five hours a week at my at my day job, and I I I probably put. God, all this SEO stuff I've been doing, I probably put 35 hours in doing that just this week. And I'm probably going to get off here and go do it some more. I just like it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we don't, we, I like hot takes. I think they're interesting, but I feel like that's all sports media is anymore. And that's really not what we do. You know, we, we have these kind of conversations where you actually, you know, you learn something about the other person you, you kind of get a different mindset or point of view on things. Steven is the best at no matter what my point of view is, he can convince me that the other side makes sense too. And not a lot of people can do that. And, and it's, so it's a lot of fun. I've learned a lot doing this show. So we'll have to have you on again, man. Once he's back, you know, the show quality of, you know, production goes from here to about here when he's here. You know, it took him like two days to make an intro video and like another hour to write a song, like to make a song to intro our show. And I struggled getting the audio into the the guys for the radio show. So (laughs) it just just gives us a little bit extra oomph when he's here. But thank you for helping me out, man. It's been a lot of fun. 
Man, definitely for sure, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, we'll let you get out of here and get some sleep or do whatever it is you do. If you're on the West Coast, it might not be that time. Yeah, I don't know. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. Have a good one.